in times like these, many people turn to prayer. Research over the, the past few months has again showed this to be true. I was reading about a researcher from the University of Copenhagen who reported that during the during a last month, during March, there was a huge surge in the number of number of Google searches for the word prayer. She claims that in, that increase was noticeable as soon as the first case of COVID-19 was reported in that country and that that continued to increase as the numbers of cases continued to, to rise. And then a survey from Pew Research Centre, they showed similar kind of results. They found that more than half of all Americans have prayed to God for this pandemic to end. And this includes three quarters of those who identify themselves as, as Christians. But it also includes one in three people who have who declare that they have no religious affiliation at all. And even one in six of those who say that they usually seldom or never, ever pray. In challenging times, many people turn to prayer to ask God for protection, for help, and for rescue. And of course, that's good. James wrote, is any of you in trouble, he should pray. But is this all that we should be praying about? Is prayer just like an an emergency call when we're in danger? Is it just a cry for rescue in the middle of a pandemic? Well, last week we were rejoicing that as followers of Jesus, we have this right to pray. We were reading how Jesus said this, My Father will give you whatever you ask. In my name. That we have this wonderful privilege to present our request to God, knowing that if we ask in Jesus' name, then God will answer and he will hear all of our prayers. But of course, that doesn't mean that we're going to get everything that we want. Asking in Jesus' name is not like a magical formula that you just tag on the end of all your requests so that God has to do what we say. Rather, asking in Jesus' name is about asking based on what Jesus has done. And it's according to his will. It's asking in keeping with his character, his priorities. It's asking in the way that Jesus would ask. So what does that look like? Well, in the next chapter of John's Gospel that we're going to be looking at this morning, we have an amazing insight into this. After teaching his disciples in that upper room, and before heading out across the the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. He prayed for himself, He prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to study this, and we're going to try to understand Jesus' priorities in prayer. So that we can learn how to pray in Jesus' name. So we're going to look this morning just at the first 
five verses of John chapter 17. Alison, would you like to read John chapter 17, verse 1 down to verse 5? Okay. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, and that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So as usual, Jesus addressed God as Father here. This term is one of intimacy and love. But if we had been in first century Israel, if we'd been a Jewish person, we'd have been shocked to hear Jesus pray this way. That would have sounded completely over-familiar as an unseemly way to talk to God as our creator. But this was appropriate for Jesus because this is his relationship. Jesus is the son of God. He is eternally loved and valued and connected to his father. Later in this prayer, actually, Jesus said to his father that you love me before the creation of the world. And so on every occasion in the Gospels where Jesus is recorded as praying, he always addresses God as Father. Apart from one. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So on the cross, Jesus prayed to God using that those words. That's because in those three hours of darkness, Jesus became sin for us. And he experienced the separation from the Father that we deserve. And it's because of this, our sins have been forgiven. And we have been adopted into God's family. John writes at the start of the, his gospel, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if we are here this morning having put our faith in Jesus, then we can pray to God in the same intimate way that Jesus did here. He taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Real prayer is the intimate communication between a child and his heavenly father. So today, we don't need to hang back. We don't need to come through ritual or formality. We don't need to come in terror or dread. If we've trusted in Jesus, then we can pray in Jesus' name. We can run into our Father's arms and pour out our hearts to him. Because we are confident that we are accepted because of Jesus. So Jesus addressed God as Father.
But he also accepted God's timing. He said, here, verse 1 again, the time has come. Now, if you've been with us through our, our studies of John's Gospel, then you'll notice that throughout this Gospel, John has showed that Jesus refused to be driven by other people's timetable. So when the Jews repeatedly tried to arrest and kill Jesus, no one laid a hand on him, John writes, because his time had not yet come. But now, that time had come. At the start of the meal, John recorded that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. The time for him to go to the cross had arrived, and Jesus accepted the Father's timing. His prayers were according to God's timetable. Now that's something that many of us struggle with. For example, in the Psalms, David struggled with God's delayed response. Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Then the prophet Habakkuk, he struggled with God's delayed justice. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? So I think it's okay to struggle with this. If these struggles are in a recording the words of scripture for us, then it tells us that it's okay that we struggle with God's timing. God doesn't always act when we want him to. The help or the healing, the salvation or the transformation, the, the protection or the vindication doesn't always come when we want it to. God's timing is different from ours. And that can be difficult for us to accept. But praying in Jesus' name is about following Jesus' example here of accepting God's timing. It's about turning to him for what we need, what we long for, what we hope for, but trusting that his timing is perfect. That his timing is best. Lamentations chapter 2, 25 and 26 says this, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we need to learn how to wait on God's timing, to accept that his timing is best. So Jesus spoke intimately with God. And he accepted the timing of God. I'm sure you noticed what Jesus prayed for. Verse 1 again. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus' deepest longing was that God would glorify him so that he'd be able to glorify God. Jesus had already said that now was the time for him to be glorified. In verse chapter 13. 
13, verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Through his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection and ascension, Jesus knew that the greatness of his holiness and power, his love and his grace would be revealed. And through this, his Father would be glorified. His deepest prayer was that through him, the greatness and the beauty and the awesomeness of his Father would be demonstrated to this world. This was the driving force of his life. It was to express his love for God by glorifying God. And this should be our driving influence too. This should be our passion, our purpose, our priority in our prayer life. This is what Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowing God's name, that means that we pray for his name to be treated as holy. It means that we long for him to be given the honour and the praise and the glory that he alone deserves. So praying in Jesus' name is really a challenge to our pride and our self-centeredness. It is praying for God's fame and not ours. It means that we don't look for glory or for praise or for our success or achievements to make a name for ourselves or our family or even for our church. Instead, it means that we seek to glorify him as first and foremost in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we, need, we can't express or we can't pray for our personal needs. That's not what we're talking about here. Because it honours God when we come to him and express our dependence for all on him for all that we need. It honours him because we express the fact that we believe that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So when we come to God, believing that he will meet our needs, that is honouring to him. That is glorifying him. It glorifies him when you when you come distressed and heartbroken because you believe that you can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It glorifies God when we pray, believing that his grace is sufficient for us, that his gifts are always good, and that his love is unfailing. But our first priority in prayer and the guiding motivation of all that we pray for should be that we want more than anything else to glorify and to honour and to magnify our God. So Jesus prayed that his Father would be glorified. But here in this prayer, There are two specific ways that Jesus focused on doing this. The first one was by giving eternal life to those you have given me. 
This is why Jesus glorifying the Father is such good news for us. Because Jesus glorified the Father by revealing his unconditional and unending and unlimited love in giving life to sinners like us. And here Jesus taught both the source and the nature of this life. Eternal life is not something that we can earn or achieve or work for. Rather, it's the most wonderful gift from God. See, in this verse, in verse 2, the Father gave Jesus the authority to rule this world. And included in this authority was the right to give this gift of life. And that gift is received by all those that the Father has chosen to give to the Son. So eternal life is a gift from God from first to last. It's all about God's giving. It is God's work. And that means that this morning we've got no right to brag about it. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. And so if our eternal life today is a gift from God, then that means that we can't take any of the credit. Instead, today, all of the praise and glory and thanks go to our Heavenly Father. Because He has given us this amazing gift. Or as Paul puts it, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. But what is this gift? Well, look at verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just a life that goes on and on and on and on forever. Eternal life is about knowing God. I called Dr. Carson, he said this, Eternal life is not so much everlasting life as knowing the everlasting one. And when we're talking about knowing the everlasting one, knowing God this morning, we're not just talking about knowing the facts about God. We're talking about knowing in the sense of intimacy. It's a life of deep personal relationship with God. And when we recognize this, and in prayer accept this, and in our prayers rejoice in this gift of eternal life, and in our prayers seek to enter more fully into the experience of that life, and when in our prayers we pray for others to become, to come into the experience of it themselves, through faith in Jesus, then all of this is glorifying to God. That's because it declares that God is so wonderful, He is so amazing, He's so great, that the abundant life, that the life to the full, that the one that our hearts are longing for, this amazing life is defined by knowing God. 
It's declaring that ultimately knowing God is all that we need. He is our greatest treasure. He is our heart's desire. Or as John Piper always puts it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But we can only receive this gift because Jesus glorified God by completing the work that he was given to do. This is what he says in verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus was so committed, (coughs) excuse me, he was so committed to finishing this work and he could pray here as if it's already complete. It's already done. And praying in Jesus' name is always prayer that's based on Jesus' finished work. It stands confidently on the fact That we, through our faith in Jesus, have been saved. That we've been brought into God's family. That we've been adopted as his children. But praying in Jesus' name isn't only based on this finished work. It's also following the example of this finished work of Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew 6 and 10. Prayer is not demanding our will. It's not a way to get what we want. Rather, it's about seeking what God wants in our lives and in this wider world. This should be our heart's desire because we love God and because we believe that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. And if we pray in this this way, then we can be sure of the answer. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, John writes in his letter in 1 John 5 and 14, that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears it. I think that's why prayer and reading the Bible go together. It's as we read God's word and let that truth renew our minds that we learn what God's will is so that we can pray in keeping with God's will. But we'll not just pray to know God's will and to pray for it. We'll also pray for the power to be able to fulfill God's will in our own lives. That's because, as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In our own strength, we cannot do the work that God is asking us to do. And so we'll keep on praying for God's power to help us to complete the will that is his will, what he has designed for us to do. And we'll keep on praying for this because we know that the honouring of God is not so much in starting to do the will of God in our lives. It's not about getting into it and starting it with enthusiasm and energy. But it's in keeping on going down through the days and the weeks and the months and the years. Faithfully completing the work that God has given us to do. 
is that consistency, that faithfulness. That is what is hardest. That is where the challenge really is. So I think then we should maybe pray, as Paul prayed, for the Colossian church. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. It's an amazing prayer. A prayer to know God's will and also to have the power, the strength in order to live this life. To have the endurance and patience to be able to fully live out the life. A life that's worthy of the Lord. A life that pleases the Lord. And we need that power from God. Because commitment to God's will is costly. It was for Jesus, wasn't it? For him, it included the horror of the cross. But Jesus would not turn away from it. A little later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, (coughs) excuse me, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was committed to his Father's will. And so he was faithful right to the end. From the cross he declared, it is finished. His mission was complete. His work was done. The price of our sins was paid for in full. Our salvation was secure. On the cross, Jesus declared that his completed work was finished. He had completed the work his father had given him to do. But it it was his resurrection and his ascension that ultimately declared that this work was finished. And Jesus finished praying here for himself by asking for this to become a reality. Verse uh, verse 5. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Jesus knew that he was the eternal son of God who had laid aside his glory when he became human. But now he was asking for that glory to be restored to him. And the fulfilment of that prayer was celebrated by Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 to 11. Uh, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his incarnation, Jesus concealed his glory. He willingly emptied himself of his position and privilege so that he could go to the cross for us. But in his resurrection and in his ascension, God revealed the Son's glory. He honoured him and welcomed him so that his, his place of position and privilege was rightfully given to him again. And so today, as we pray, we are called to honour Jesus. We're called, as that passage talks about, to bow the knee before him and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But as we pray, we're also called to follow in Jesus' example here. To have, as we read in verse 5, to have the same attitude or the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. This is the cost of following Jesus. But ultimately, we're not going to lose out if we do that. Because as Jesus said in John chapter 12, my Father will honour the one who serves me. So in praying in Jesus' name, that means we don't demand our rights, or we don't focus on our needs, or we don't seek our exaltation. It means that we don't insist on getting everything that we want now, all the comfort and all the ease and all the appreciation. Instead, we choose to humble ourselves now, set aside our position and our privilege, take up that role as a servant, and seek the good of others, and even be willing to lay down our lives for the benefit of others, because we trust that one day Jesus is going to come back for us, and he will bring us into his glory. We're not going to miss out if we follow Jesus' example here in how we pray. Because as Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For those of us who pray in Jesus' name, we can expect, we can look forward to, we can celebrate the glory that is to come. Not that we'll hold on to that glory. But we'll again bow before Jesus and declare that he is the one who is all worthy and glorious. So in this challenging time, when so many people are turning to prayer, let's pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray in keeping with his character and his priorities. Praying as he prayed. 
So speak intimately with God because he is our father. Accept the timing of God because his timetable is best. Seek the glory of God because he deserves it all. Celebrate our life with God because he is our greatest treasure. Commit to the will of God because his will is perfect. And trust in the reward from God because following Jesus is always worth it. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for this amazing example of of Jesus' prayer life that we can read this morning. Thank you for giving us, us, us this insight into the heart, the priorities, the motivation, the passion of our Lord and Saviour. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from it this morning. Help us to learn that we can come into your presence. And we can, with confidence, call you our Father because of what Jesus has done. Help us to to accept your timing, your timetable for our lives. Not demanding everything that we want now, but realize that you have a time for everything. Help us to seek ultimately your glory. Not our glory, not our fame, not our renown, but your glory, Lord. I pray that everything we would do would be to your honor and to your glory. Help us to celebrate this life, this eternal life that you have given to us, realizing that you are our, the greatest treasure. You are what life is in all its fullness. And that is what we have through our faith in Jesus. Help us to celebrate that life, but also to help us to be passionate about praying that others would, would come into the goodness of that light and they'd be able to share in that life too. Lord, help us. Help us to commit ourselves to following your will. Help us to follow in the example of Jesus who finished the work that you gave him to do. And that's the reason why we can come to you in prayer. And Lord, in all of this, help us to to pray with joy. Not because life is easy now. Not because that we don't have troubles now. Lord, we know that this is a hard time for many of us. But Lord, we know that no matter what we go through here on earth, no matter what suffering or trouble or trials or opposition or persecution we go through, Lord, that we will never lose out because our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Help us to have eyes that look to, to you, Lord, and to focus on the future glory that we'll have with you, that we'll share with you, that we'll be able to honour you and glorify you for all that you've done in our lives. That will motivate us to keep on serving you this this uh, this time, Lord. Help us to keep on living for you more and more each day. Father, I pray you'd help us to pray more and more and to pray in Jesus' name and for his glory.